0: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf.
2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today, I'm excited that our guest is J.J. Geronimo. J.J. is the president of Tech Savvy Women. Uh, she's advanced from entry-level positions into leadership positions within technology companies. Through her keynotes and executive sessions, J.J. shares effective leadership and inclusion strategies to retain, develop, and advance diverse women. J.J. includes these experiences in her new book, Accelerate Your Impact, published by Smart Business Books. And this book complements her 2011 book, The Working Woman's GPS. J.J. has been quoted in numerous publications, including Forbes, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Fox Business. So I created this show mainly to help leaders and emerging leaders address the issues that we are currently facing in a world that's changing at an accelerating rate each day. And so what I'm trying to bring you is experts in their field who offer new knowledge that many of us haven't been exposed to and haven't really needed to know, and yet these topics are now quite relevant, and this group of experts should offer us insights that we can put into practice in our ongoing business lives. So, JJ is going to present ideas, and... My hope is for each of our listeners that you find something in what she talks about to put into practice or into conversation to either influence how you lead or influence your organization in what it's doing to continue to be effective in this dynamic world. So the outcome of JJ's conversation today is we talk about the importance of attracting women to STEM jobs, and yet for many people this is a black box. So she's going to talk about the organization she started to address the question of attracting women to STEM, and she shares what she's learned with you and why it matters and specifically what you can do about it. So JJ, first, welcome. I'm delighted that you could join us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to sharing some of these
2: strategies with all of you. Thank you. So before we start into what is tech-savvy women, do you want to, you want to give our listeners any more of a background about you?
3: Well, I think you've done a fantastic job. Uh, this is not probably a market I thought I would find myself in, but uh, over the last two decades of being in tech and STEM-related industries and organizations, uh workforce and retaining and attracting talent has become more and more of a uh, focus point of CEOs and organizations to create thought diversity and ultimately innovation and bottom-line impact. And so having these types of discussions for leaders is absolutely critical as they think about uh, where and how they're going to attract, retain, and advance their talent in a way that's going to have that bottom-line impact.
2: So why did you start Tech Savvy Women? You said that it wasn't something that you early on thought that you would be focusing on.
3: Yes, yes. Most of my background uh, has been computer science, programming, and then I moved on to next-generation data center technologies, uh, such as cloud computing, software-defined data center. And uh, I've had an absolutely fantastic career uh, in that discipline. But uh, out of my own need of connecting with like women that were trying to manage two young kids, a global job, and uh, a large team I was managing, I needed help to figure out how to keep it all going because it's pretty easy when you don't have so many demands outside in in your personal life where work is your demand. But as you start saying yes professionally and personally, it gets pretty dicey at times for women. And so I started tech-savvy women with women that had been in the field for over seven years Um, And I could share some insights of what's working, what's not, uh, talk about career goals and um, what keeps them in and what they like and what advice they can share. And so it started with a small group, only just 12 women, uh, now that's close to 3,000 women globally. Oh, wow. Okay, so 3,000 women globally
2: is different than 12 people sitting around my living room drinking a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it grow and how do you support...
3: What is now a much larger diverse group? Mm -hmm. Great question. So it grew organically. Uh, I started posting and sharing and discussing, and women around the globe found us. So I had no, I spent no money on marketing. I spent no money on really advertising to attract women. Uh, I really just started talking about content, conversations, and career things that were important to me that obviously resonated with women around the world. And so much of our conversations used to be around a dining room table where we would meet for dinner or even at a corporation where we would meet for 40 or 50 people. Then much of that is now moving online for online discussions. And the beautiful thing is it's not just with women anymore. It is with leaders and executives that are looking to retain and advance the talent they have and attract new talent to roles that have been predominantly male, um, Filled with male candidates.
2: Okay, so I have my own opinion, but from your expertise, why do we care about having women in these in these roles?
3: Well, I think most organizations are looking for thought diversity in a way that they look and act and discuss like their customers. You know, eighty-seven percent of commercial spending is done by women, uh, either directly or indirectly, and many um, studies have shown that, that people like to buy from women and that uh, there's many products out there that's very clear that there were no women at the table. So I think that from the demand of the customer to the demand of the buyer, people are looking to uh, really reflect how they want to invest and how they want to move um, not only their organizations but also their spend and and you're talking
2: specifically about STEM roles and women are now half of the workforce population approximately so i'm assuming that having having important jobs that are driving our companies especially in an era where technology is the backbone of much of what we do that having excluding some portion of that half of the population because we're not trying to attract them effectively. That also reduces just the effective work, workforce pool.
3: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately and unfortunately, my conversation spills over to any industry and any um, jobs. I mean, obviously, HR, marketing, and even law can sometimes be led and managed by women, but most of the other roles in organizations. Predominantly are men. And so from not only from attracting talent to retaining them and advancing them, my discussion often falls within technology and related roles such as engineering, science, medicine. But the content and conversation is really applicable to the broader, uh, situation in the workplace, uh, which often bleeds into, you know, cultures, teams, um, and organizations.
2: And you and I share the similarity of I work heavily with technology and engineering professionals. So I'm curious, what are you learning or what have you learned and written about that you want our listeners to hear about with regard to the culture that attracts and retains
3: women? hmm Yeah, so I'll take it from two viewpoints, because one, there's the the interviewee or the employee and the uh, so things that I've learned that I did not know when I first started this whole process is that, you know, the playing ground is different, that women often see that their good work should get them where they need to go. And the reality is there's a lot more than just delivering great work. There's, you know, building your network, having sponsors, aligning to the right projects, and facilitating conversations that will help uh, align you to that next level of impact that many women desire to achieve yet don't often know how to do it. And then there's the conversation with the leader, executive, um, or even HR organization that is trying to figure out how do you pull diverse talent through? Because many times I often hear like, oh, well, they're not interested, they're not ready, they don't want to take on more responsibility. And so how do they essentially create processes programs and conversations that will identify key employees that are ready but aren't showing up the way that traditional uh, workplaces are expected to see people that are interested in moving up. Like, women are not known to self-nominate. They often don't apply until they're 100% ready. Men generally apply when they're 60% ready. Um, They won't... They do a very good job at networking at the same level women, where men do a much better job networking um, one and two levels above them. These small differentiators in the workplace make a huge difference uh, in cultivating talent. And if you don't understand these differences, uh, in addition to some of the unconscious biases that are happening that many organizations are training for, it's really difficult to fill the pipeline with diverse candidates. Okay,
2: so let's go back to something you just said, 60% and 100%. 60
3: women, well, what was the statistic? Yeah, so there's a Harvard study, uh, there's a Harvard article which is based on a study that, that shows um, that was done by HP where uh, they put up a job description and uh, they had several male candidates and they went back and asked the few that had applied, why they applied. They estimated that they thought should apply, that didn't apply, why they didn't apply. And so the study basically shows that men feel very comfortable applying when they have 60% of the requirements and they are confident that they can figure out that other uh, 40%. Women, on the other hand, um, oftentimes are taught from very young, which is then manifest to uh, different decisions as they get older, that they need to be 100% qualified to cross all their T's, dot all their I's, before they can possibly apply. And oftentimes it's not because they can't think, they don't think they can't do it, but they don't want to ever let anybody down. And so oftentimes they wait until they're overqualified to apply, which impacts them in several ways. One of which is they minimize without taking risks in your career, especially middle age when you're 30 Mm -hmm. and above. Um, it it impacts your self-efficacy, and their self-efficacy is really, you know, having a vision of where you want to go and believing you can achieve it. And if you wait to 100% to be qualified all the time, you lose the opportunity to cultivate that mindset and that ability. And so organizations often have to sort of hand select or even go out and encourage women to apply even though they don't believe they're 100% ready, And then reassuring them that, hey, we got your back. We know you're ready for this. We want you to apply, and we have your back. You're not going to, you know, let anybody down if, you know, not every P is crossed or I is dotted. Mm -hmm. And that type of reassurance often cultivates uh, a lot more diversity in the interview pool, especially for internal roles about being promoted and advanced in new directions. So so this is interesting. I heard a statistic fairly
2: similar to that, and it's probably been over 20 years. So as women, we are not effectively addressing how we're wired and raised, and I guess that's not shocking, but it does look like also as a mentor of women and as a university professor, I should be raising questions like this or issues like this as well as in the workplace.
3: Oh, absolutely. There's a whole slew of studies in the education realm, especially undergrad, masters, and doctor- doctorates. Is just, the numbers are horrendous. And not only is there unconscious bias and studies out there that show that, you know, professors believe, you know, one gender is more superior than the other, but they're often challenged in ways that their peers are not. And so, um, cultivating this discussion as early as possible, and I even talked to high school girls about this, uh, is important because I feel like we we are not we are not equipped with the right rules for this game.
2: So uh, let's let's for the next couple of minutes let's delve further into this. If it starts with I as a woman. I am less likely to apply because I'm not 100% ready compared to my male colleagues. Are there concrete recommendations? Uh, And it sounds like, okay, university, I can address it. Even high school, I can address it. In the mentoring and development process, so so almost you would say if you're running a company that wants to be supportive of women moving forward because they want to support their own bottom line, almost all of my managers should also be looking for talented women to um, mentor and encourage. Um, And then our HR processes should formally also account for this. What else am I missing?
3: Oh, there's many things. (laughs) There's so many things to it. But I think that the nut of the conversation is if you have strong talent in your organization, encouraging them to participate, apply, or even take on a role before they're ready, and reassuring them that you have their back uh, Uh is super important because women, one, don't want to look like a fool. Two, they want to deliver beyond what they've committed to. And three, they have a lot of balls in the air besides their job, and so when they take on new opportunities or even new roles, oftentimes they have to shift a lot of things in their personal life, too, whether it's for travel or maybe, you know, off-site meetings or name it, You can name it. Um, and so, it really, it's critical that uh, women have sponsors, and those are actually beyond a mentor, and I think that is something we should dive into next because, um, it's really the folks that help advocate for them when they're not around and give them that reassurance when those doors are closed. Okay, so so let's go to break
2: right now and come back and talk about sponsors and how we can build within the structure of companies and nonprofits as well, so in organizations, formal ways for women to advance. And my guess is this needs to go back really to to school where young girls
3: are encouraged
2: to take math.
3: Is yeah. that I think part that's part of, of it. It's, it's encouraging girls to keep at it, you know, to keep at it, even though, you know, there's studies that show once they go through puberty, they often don't want to um, put themselves out there. And so making sure that your school programs in middle school and even grade school encourage them to continue to participate, even though they're the only girl in the room.
2: Okay, and being often the only girl in the room, as a young person, and now as a not girl person, um, it is it, we need to be accustomed to that dynamic and comfortable with it, or or we as young women and and older women can opt out. Okay, so we will be right back with Maureen and JJ talking about tech savvy women and recruiting attracting, recruiting, and retaining women in STEM organizations and STEM roles.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today.
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving, Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf and J.J. Geronimo and we are talking about tech-savvy women. When we left off, we were talking about more than mentoring, actually having organizational sponsors. So can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to have a sponsor, and for those of us in organizations who want to support women and other diverse talent, how, how do we build sponsorship into
3: our formal structure? I think that's a great place to start, and it's one of those things that I didn't really realize was so important when I was in the workforce, but after researching um, many, many documents and I stumbled across uh, the Glass Hammer and Accenture put together a white paper for women in tech, the largest eye-opening problem that women have in the workplace is not having sponsors. And right after that is they're not even sure how to go about having sponsors or how to get the right sponsor. And so this type of insight has been instrumental in um, in really the outline of my recent book, Accelerate Your Impact, because I dedicate four chapters for women of exactly how to identify, align, and activate sponsors in your career journey. And this is not something I did very well and uh, I feel like I had sponsors, and I, I wasn't even aware of it at the time. And so I could have really maximized the opportunity of people in my network um, that could have opened more doors or even um, gotten me on more, more of the short list, because there's many times when organizations are putting together new projects or new roles or even new product lines, and they sit around the table and they say, well, who should we put on this project or who's somebody in the organization that has interest or could do a good job at this? And oftentimes, you know, women are not invited to these meetings. These are senior-level meetings, and it's very important that you have advocates in the organization that not only know your accomplishments, but also know your goals that can help advocate for you uh, when you're not in the room. And so I often encourage women to hire coaches when they're trying to figure out what they need. You know, they need someone to listen and really sort of dissect what they're trying to do next with their career sit with mentors to validate your plan. I'm thinking about going this way, or I'm thinking about taking on this project, or I might want to take my career in a new direction. Mentors are great because they give you advice while they're sitting with you. Sponsors, though, are absolutely necessary, and a sponsor not only gives you advice, but leverages their social capital to help you get where you want to go next, and Sponsors can come in all fashions. They don't necessarily have to be in your organization. They could be your neighbors. They could be friends of the family, or it could be your boss or even people in your organization. But for women, the hardest part of identifying sponsors is to first start off with where do you want to have more impact next? I talked to many women that are very happy in the roles that they're in now, but want to join a board or want to start a program in a local nonprofit or want to participate on school board. But the oftentimes have to get to that, What? where do you want to have impact next? And the book um, lays out for them very specific actions, chapter by chapter, to make their goals a reality. And I think that I spend so much time talking about sponsors for chapters because it is absolutely the di- differentiator for many, many women, uh, in both professionally and personally. So this, I want to insert something, um, mainly
2: because I worked at Accenture... Uh, before I started my company and and participated in one of these programs. And, And they did an exceptional job at identifying women with talent and matching us with people who were willing to help our careers, as you've said. And one of the interesting things is that our mentors and sponsors weren't necessarily women. They were just... You picked whoever was positioned to, to help you in the area you cared about. And I think as women, sometimes we overlook the fact that our best sponsor or mentor may be someone who looks different than us and faces different issues.
3: Can I think that's an excellent point. Absolutely excellent point. And one that I overlook oftentimes, I have to say that none of my sponsors have been women over the years. Not because I don't want them to be women, but oftentimes in a tech company, the levers are pushed by men.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
3: Actually, I did have had one mentor, and I, too, started at Anderson, which then evolved Accenture, and I did have a great woman there, Paula, that helped me really early on in my career. Um, but most of the time, when I looked up, it was men, and I don't think women should that should deter women from asking for help.
2: And actually, my my sponsor at Accenture was a man. And I picked him because of what he knew. It it wasn't wasn't how do I deal with... And I also don't have children, so I had different challenges than people who are trying to travel full-time with a family at home. So I, I can see where there is benefit in having people who look like us and people who look different than us. Both are valuable depending on the purpose for having a sponsor
3: or a mentor, and that we can have multiple ones at the same time. Oh, yes. And I talk a lot in the book about building your advisory board because depending on what you do, you're going to need different people for different things. And um, But the, the, for women, really being able to clarify and quantify where you want to move the needle is absolutely instrumental because many people will call me or even after one of my keynotes, they'll come up and say, they're so sweet, they're like, Oh, I loved your material, I love your books, will you be my sponsor? And I'm always willing to help women, but I'm like, Oh well what do you want to do? Oh I'm not sure. Your sponsor should directly align to where you want to have influence and impact next. And this is why it so clearly has to be defined before you start sort of outreaching to people randomly because Most sponsors are incredibly busy because they do have a lot of social capital. They do have a lot of things going on, and you don't want to waste those opportunities. So you have to do your homework first, and you have to put the time in to really get um, a clear view on where you are and where you want to go. And that is, my book really acts as a workbook for women and also HR departments and leaders to help their employees or as an individual to help you really put your plan together.
2: You know, one of the things I recommend to people, because I, too, see the challenge and I have people invite me to be supportive, and I wish I could support everyone, and yet I often recommend that people do things uh, with me that I'm going to be doing anyway. So I'm going to be attending an event, why don't you come as my guest, and we'll have some time to network while we accomplish a purpose. Uh, one of my colleagues delivers meals on wheels and he invites people to go deliver meals with him so mm-hmm. he's accomplishing something that he values in his volunteer time and is also multitasking and doing the mentoring and and sponsorship work that he also values so so I think it is important for folks who are inviting someone to be supportive or or for folks who are intimidated and afraid to ask. Maybe the ask is, is there something I can help you do? And,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and at the same time, would you be willing to spend some time with me to, to help me advance my career?
3: You have another excellent point. And I always, you know, you don't want to be taking without giving back. And I talk about really specifically, like, offering to further their initiatives, and many women will say to me, well, how can I help them? You know, I've done some really crazy things. You know, I have, I guess professionally when you say it's not that crazy, but one of my sponsors helped me uh, get aligned into a new group, and I helped his niece talk through different career paths and related degrees. I mean, so it wasn't even, the ask wasn't even in the corporate four walls. It was a personal ask for me to help his niece. I've also helped another mentor of mine had a nonprofit and wanted me to put together some gift baskets um, with some cool STEM-based toys for kids. So I really think that women often right away discount their value and where they could add, it, where they could reciprocate, and really there are many, many ways that you can benefit other people.
2: You know, probably the the oddest in my life recently is trading mentoring for dog sitting. Um, mm-hmm. I love my dog. Right. And the woman who's great with her is recently started a nonprofit, and so I'm trying to help support her nonprofit, and she takes care of my um, precious little friend.
3: That's exactly yeah. right. And so I think women oftentimes, write a lot of women, not all women, but a lot of women say, oh, how could I help them? What could I do? But really it is endless. And I think it does come a lot down to confidence about, you know, self-esteem is how you feel about yourself and confidence are your related actions. And so women that don't take a lot of risks or put themselves out there, unfortunately lose the opportunity to build their confidence. And so I always encourage women to take risks. If you're not ready to take them in the corporation, do it in your community. Do it at your church. Do it at the local school. Take on something you're unsure about just to build up confidence that you can make a difference even if you're not sure how you're going to get from point A to point B.
2: I think it's a great point. You know, as I look at people who succeed, it's often not the smartest. It's mm-hmm. those who are just willing to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, mm-hmm. and it's small risk. It's not I go up to you know, the most important person I've ever met and ask them for something. I go up to the person who is one step above me or a half a step or a quarter of a step and, and practice new skills with them way before I go to someone that terrifies me.
3: Absolutely. And with LinkedIn, you know, women always say, I don't use LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I'm not looking for a job. LinkedIn is a tremendous tool for finding really great people that are one, two, and three steps ahead of you and reaching out to them, complimenting them on the work they've done, maybe some of the things they've done. Maybe you've seen them at a conference or seen them online or maybe an uh, industry group, reaching out to them. Uh, ensuring the work that you do like, and then asking for a 15-minute conference call. How did you Mm -hmm. get there? What things would you suggest I do? I've been looking at your profile. It looks like you got a master's in this. Has this helped you? So LinkedIn is a tremendous tool to research people that are one or two steps ahead of you to check out their journey. What have they done? What things have they said yes to? And what things might you be able to also leverage um, to help build a similar path? I I love the idea that that you're...
2: I, I like seeing what they do, seeing what they're writing about. It, it tells me what is someone who is where I want to be, who are they reading, and what are they... If, you know, if it's someone who is discerning in what they like and what they post, then it gives me insight into what I should be looking at next. And then those who reach out to me with a very specific ask, let's have a 15-minute conversation about X. And make sure that that is that that it's not a, a um, unstructured ask. So I'd like to talk about your career. Isn't helpful, and I'm less likely to respond to that than a very specific. I'm looking at trying to decide between X and Y, and I'd like to have 15 minutes, not some random amount of time. I am more likely to respond.
3: And I think, yes, and I think that is a great for your listeners to hear because I think people always think, oh, they're never going to say yes. or, But like you say, it's 15 minutes is nothing in, in regards to time, and honestly, in seven minutes you can get a lot done. So 15 minutes is a bonus. When I, I take those phone calls while I'm running errands
2: or driving to visit my family members, and mm-hmm. it's easy to do it if we batch it with errands. So it, it may not be that big of an ask for me as long as someone can be flexible with my schedule.
3: Yeah, and I think people are open to that because it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. And so I think for women, you know, really being, I would think taking the time to figure out where you want to have impact next I've heard many people tell me that most people spend more time planning their family vacation than they do the next 12 months of their career, and so really etching out that time, whether it's Saturday mornings or Thursday nights or even during a lunch hour. And then for organizations, you know, it's great to partner people up as mentors. It's great to have programs, but frankly... It should be more of an open-door policy where employees expected to to have a mentor or sponsor and reach out to them several times, because then you put the onus on the employee and you give them permission to access people in the organization for 15 or 20 minutes, um, you know, once a month or say, you know, whatever your program may be. I've worked with many organizations on different criteria. Uh, and it's not such a, a set marriage of two people together, because oftentimes what they find is that mentoring program is helpful for one or two sessions, but after that, they get sort of the details they need, and they need different people for different conversations. And so advocating, um, finding people to help them uh, in the organization. And some of the great programs I hear of is when, you know, maybe a director or a VP can't go to a meeting, they send somebody on their team in their place so that people can get exposure to that next level up of meetings that they might not have access to right now. Uh, Another great thing is um, having being able to swap departments for three months so that you get different exposure to different projects. It does take some creativity on the organization's part, but the buy-in and commitment of the employees is often higher uh, because you've invested in them and their career path.
2: You know, again, as you're saying, sitting in meetings, early in my career I volunteered to just be a note-taker. You know, they me to this strategic planning session that usually people don't go to until they're much more senior, but I'm happy to go in and be useful. Sitting in the back and observing seems a little odd sometimes, but let me take the notes. I, and yet, I've had people apply to be interns who've said, like, I couldn't do that. I won't take notes for you. I have whatever. I'm almost out of college. And those are people who won't, will not work with me because I want people who are eager for the opportunity to learn three steps up by attending
3: sessions. hmm Yes, and I think, you know, as you're taking teaching that lesson to women, maybe in your classrooms or even people um, in your network, you know, making sure that they're not taking the notes all the time for peer meetings because women often are conditioned or forced to do more admin-based roles, even in engineering groups where they order products or they handle all the POs or they do the documentation and they're not actually doing the physical hands-on building. And so I often advocate for women to not to not um, segregate themselves into an admin-like role even in a STEM-based um, degree or role.
2: I think that's a great point. I, I was thinking specifically of I'm going to go to meetings. I, I had an intern who used to go to board meetings with me and he'd take notes. It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was rare to have someone at 20 um, in a board meeting, and yet so it gave him great experience. Exactly. And had he been a woman, similarly, it would have been great experience. So, so I do make the distinction, and I absolutely agree, uh, putting ourselves in administrative roles that are inappropriate is not useful and can be um, damaging.
3: Yes, to your brand.
2: Yes. So let's go on break now, and we will come back. And I'd like to learn more about your book and, and a bit about how it's structured so that our listeners can understand the tools available for the individual and for the company so that they can take specific steps beyond an informational interview. So we will be right back.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership in business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com today.
0: Search Voice America at your favorite app
1: store. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations, to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today, I'm excited that our guest is JJ G. J.J. is the president of Tech Savvy Women. Uh, She's advanced from entry-level positions into leadership positions within technology companies. Through her keynotes and executive sessions, J.J. shares effective leadership and inclusion strategies to retain, develop, and advance diverse women. J.J. includes these experiences in her new book, Accelerate Your Impact, published by Smart Business Books, and this book complements her 2011 book, The Working Woman's GPS. J.J. has been quoted in numerous publications, including Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Fox Business. So I created this show mainly to help leaders and emerging leaders address the issues that we are currently facing in a world that's changing at an accelerating rate each day. And so what I'm trying to bring you is experts in their field who offer new knowledge that many of us haven't been exposed to and haven't really needed to know, and yet these topics are now quite relevant, and this group of experts should offer us insights that we can put into practice in our ongoing business lives. So J.J. is going to present ideas, and my hope is for each of our listeners that you find something in what she talks about to put into practice or into conversation to either influence how you lead or influence your organization in what it's doing to continue to be effective in this dynamic world. So the outcome of JJ's conversation today is we talk about the importance of attracting women to STEM jobs, and yet for many people this is a black box. So she's going to talk about the organization she started to address the question of attracting women to STEM, and she shares what she's learned with you and why it matters and specifically what you can do about it. So JJ, first, welcome. I'm delighted that you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to sharing some of these strategies with all of you. Thank you. So before we start into what is tech-savvy women, do you want to, you want to give our listeners any more of a background about you?
3: Well, I think you've done a fantastic job. Uh, this is not probably a market I thought I would find myself in, but uh, over the last two decades of being in tech and STEM-related industries and organizations, uh, workforce and retaining and attracting talent has become more and more of a uh, focus point of CEOs and organizations to create thought diversity and ultimately innovation and bottom-line impact. And so having these types of discussions for leaders is absolutely critical as they think about uh, where and how they're going to attract, retain, and advance their talent in a way that's going to have that bottom-line impact.
2: So why did you start Tech Savvy Women? You said that it wasn't something that you early on thought that you would be focusing on.
3: Yes, yes. Most of my background uh, has been computer science, programming, and then I moved on to next-generation data center technologies, uh, such as cloud computing, software-defined data center. And uh, I've had an absolutely fantastic career uh, in that discipline. But uh, out of my own need of connecting with like women that were trying to manage two young kids, a global job, and uh, a large team I was managing, I needed help to figure out how to keep it all going because it's pretty easy when you don't have so many demands outside in in your personal life where work is your demand. But as you start saying yes professionally and personally, it gets pretty dicey at times for women. And so I started tech-savvy women with women that had been in the field for over seven years Um, And they could share some insights of what's working, what's not, uh, talk about career goals and um, what keeps them in and what they like and what advice they can share. And so it started with a small group, only just 12 women, uh, now that's close to 3,000 women globally. Oh, wow. Okay, so
2: 3,000 women globally is different than 12 people sitting around my living room drinking a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it grow and how do you support...
3: What is now a much larger diverse group? Mm -hmm. Great question. So, it grew organically. Uh, I started posting and sharing and discussing, and women around the globe found us. So, I had no... I spent no money on marketing. I spent no money on, really, advertising to attract women. Uh, I really just started talking about content, conversations, and career things that were important to me that obviously resonated with women around the world, and so much of our conversations used to be around a dining room table where we would meet for dinner or even at a corporation where we would meet for 40 or 50 people, then much of that is now moving online for online discussions. and the beautiful thing is it's not just with women anymore. It is with leaders and executives that are looking to retain and advance the talent they have and attract new talent to roles that have been predominantly male um, filled with male candidates.
2: Okay, so I have my own opinion, but from your expertise, why do we care about having women in these roles?
3: Well, I think most organizations are looking for thought diversity in a way that they look and act and discuss like their customers. You know, 87% of commercial spending is done by women, uh, either directly or indirectly, and Many um, studies have shown that that people like to buy from women and that uh, there's many products out there that's very clear that there were no women at the table. So I think that from the demand of the customer to the demand of the buyer, people are looking to uh, really reflect how they want to invest and how they want to move um, not only their organizations but also their spend. And...
2: And you're talking specifically about STEM roles, and women are now half of the workforce population approximately. So I'm assuming that having having important jobs that are driving our companies, especially in an era where technology is the backbone of much of what we do, that having, excluding some portion of that half of the population, because we're not trying to attract them effectively that also reduces just the effective work, workforce
3: pool. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately and unfortunately my conversation spills over to any industry and any um, jobs. I mean, obviously HR marketing and even law can sometimes be led and managed by women, but most of the other roles in organizations predominantly are men. And so, from not only from attracting talent to retaining them and advancing them, my discussion often falls within technology and related roles such as engineering, science, medicine, but the content and conversation is really applicable to the broader uh, situation in the workplace, uh, which often bleeds into you know, cultures, teams, um, and organizations.
2: And you and I share the similarity of I work heavily with technology and engineering professionals. So I'm curious, what are you learning or what have you learned and written about that you want our listeners to hear about with regard to the culture that attracts and retains women?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll take it from two viewpoints because one, there's the, the interviewee or the employee. And the uh, so things that I've learned that I did not know when I first started this whole process is that, you know, the playing ground is different, that women often see that their good work should get them where they need to go. And the reality is there's a lot more than just delivering great work. There's, you know, building your network, having sponsors, aligning to the right projects, and facilitating conversations that will help uh, align you to that next level of impact that many women desire to achieve yet don't often know how to do it. And then there's the conversation with the leader, executive, um, or even HR organization that is trying to figure out how do you pull diverse talent through? Because many times I often hear like, oh, well, they're not interested, they're not ready, they don't want to take on more responsibility. And so how do they essentially create processes programs and conversations that will identify key employees that are ready but aren't showing up the way that traditional uh, workplaces are expected to see people that are interested in moving up. Like, women are not known to self-nominate. They often don't apply until they're 100% ready. Men generally apply when they're 60% ready. Um, They won't... They do a very good job at networking at the same level, women, where men do a much better job networking um, one and two levels above them. These small differentiators in the workplace make a huge difference uh, in cultivating talent. And if you don't understand these differences, uh, in addition to some of the unconscious biases that are happening that many organizations are training for, it's really difficult to fill the pipeline with diverse candidates.
2: Okay, so let's go back to something you just said, 60% and
3: 100%. 60
2: women, well, what was the statistic?
3: Yeah, so there's a Harvard study, uh, there's a Harvard article which is based on a study that, that shows um, that was done by HP where uh, they put up a job description and uh, they had several male candidates and they went back and asked the few that had applied, why they applied, they asked many that they thought should apply that didn't apply, why they didn't apply. And so the study basically shows that men feel very comfortable applying when they have 60% of the requirements and they are confident that they can figure out that other uh, 40%. Women, on the other hand, um, oftentimes are taught from very young, which is then manifest to uh, different decisions as they get older, that they need to be 100% qualified, cross all their T's, dot all their I's, before they can possibly apply. And oftentimes it's not because they can't think, they don't think they can't do it, but they don't want to ever let anybody down. And so oftentimes they wait until they're overqualified to apply, which impacts them in several ways. One of which is they minimize without taking risks in your career, especially middle age when you're 30 Mm -hmm. and above. Um, it it impacts your self-efficacy, and their self-efficacy is really, you know, having a vision of where you want to go and believing you can achieve it. And if you wait to 100% to be qualified all the time, you lose the opportunity to cultivate that mindset and that ability. And so organizations often have to sort of hand select or even go out and encourage women to apply, even though they don't believe they're 100% ready, And then reassuring them that, hey, we got your back. We know you're ready for this. We want you to apply, and we have your back. You're not going to, you know, let anybody down if, you know, not every P is crossed or I is dotted. Mm -hmm. And that type of reassurance often cultivates uh, a lot more diversity in the interview pool, especially for internal roles about being promoted and advanced in new directions.
2: So so this is interesting. I heard a statistic fairly similar to that, and it's probably been over 20 years. So as women, we are not effectively addressing how we're wired and raised. And I guess that's not shocking. But it does look like also as a mentor of women and as a university professor, I should be raising questions like this or issues like this as well as in the workplace.
3: Oh, absolutely. There's a whole slew of studies in the education realm, especially undergrad, masters, and doctor- doctorates. Is just, the numbers are horrendous. And not only is there unconscious bias and studies out there that show that, you know, professors believe, you know, one gender is more superior than the other, but they're often challenged in ways that their peers are not. And so, um, cultivating this discussion as early as possible, and I even talked to high school girls about this, uh, is important because I feel like we we are not we are not equipped with the right rules for this game. So uh, let's
2: let's for the next couple of minutes let's delve further into this. If it starts with I as a woman. I am less likely to apply because I'm not 100% ready compared to my male colleagues are there concrete recommendations uh, and it sounds like okay university I can address it even high school I can address it In the mentoring and development process, so so almost you would say if you're running a company that wants to be supportive of women moving forward because they want to support their own bottom line, almost all of my managers should also be looking for talented women to um, mentor and encourage. Um, And then our HR processes should formally also account for this. What
3: else am I missing? Oh, there's many things. (laughs) There's so many pieces to it. But I think that the nut of the conversation is if you have strong talent in your organization, encouraging them to participate, apply, or even take on a role before they're ready, and reassuring them that you have their back uh, Uh is super important because women, one, don't want to look like a fool. Two, they want to deliver beyond what they've committed to. And three, they have a lot of balls in the air besides their job. And so when they take on new opportunities or even new roles, oftentimes they have to shift a lot of things in their personal life, too, whether it's for travel or maybe, you know, off-site meetings or name it, you can name it. Um, and so it really, it's critical that uh, women have sponsors, and those are actually beyond a mentor, and I think that is something we should dive into next because... Um, it's really the folks that help advocate for them when they're not around and give them that reassurance when those doors are closed. Okay, so so let's
2: go to break right now and come back and talk about sponsors and how we can build within the structure of companies and nonprofits as well, so in organizations, formal ways for women to advance. And my guess is this needs to go back really to to school where young girls are encouraged to take math.
3: Is yes. that I think part that's part of, of it. It's, it's encouraging girls to keep at it, you know, to keep okay. at it, even though, you know, there's studies that show once they go through puberty, they often don't want to um, put themselves out there. And so making sure that your school programs in middle school and even grade school encourage them to continue to participate, even though they're the only girl in the room.
2: Okay, and being often the only girl in the room, as a young person, and now as a not girl person, um, it is it, we need to be accustomed to that dynamic and comfortable with it, or or we as young women and and older women can opt out. Okay, so we will be right back with Maureen and JJ talking about tech savvy women and recruiting attracting, recruiting, and retaining women in STEM organizations and STEM roles.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and Thrive.